engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. It is 7 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. And boy, do we have a ton of news to get to. Let us get into the Donald Trump letter. I put it up. Uh, if you go to the resurgent.com, I have up the president's letter actually on his letterhead. Uh, it's not just the excerpt. It's actually a picture of the letter. And it is hilarious. It has got to be the funniest letter, the best letter the president has sent during his entire tenure in office. And he has sent some doozies. If you'll recall yesterday, Nancy Pelosi sent the president a letter saying maybe if the government hasn't opened up by January 29th, we should cancel the State of the Union. Maybe you can do it from the White House. Don't think you should come. Uh, security concerns and everything else. The Department of Homeland Security said that's nonsense. Nonetheless, Nancy Pelosi said that in her letter. So the president sent a letter to Nancy Pelosi. And then I have to tell you the letter, the, the story behind the letter. So this is the letter the president sent. He sent it at 2.15 p.m. this afternoon. Dear Madam Speaker, due to the shutdown, I'm sorry to inform you that your trip to Brussels, Egypt, and Afghanistan has been postponed. We will reschedule this seven-day excursion when the shutdown is over. In light of the 800,000 great American workers not receiving pay, I am sure you would agree that postponing this public relations event is totally appropriate. I also feel that during this period, it would be better if you were in Washington negotiating with me and joining the strong border security movement to end the shutdown. Obviously, if you would like to make your journey by flying commercial, that would certainly be your prerogative. I look forward to seeing you soon and even more forward to watching our open and dangerous southern border finally receive the attention, funding, and security it so desperately deserves. Sincerely, Donald J. Trump, President of the United States. <laughs> So now here's the backstory of this. The president did not know that Nancy Pelosi was going on this trip. She was scheduled. The plane was scheduled to take off at three o'clock this afternoon. The president found out about it at 1.30 this afternoon and decided to send the letter. Uh, Speaker Pelosi received the letter at 2.15 the afternoon as she arrived at the Air Force Base to leave. But it gets better. Members of Congress of both parties were going with Nancy Pelosi. And they were on a bus at the Longworth House office building. And when they found out the president had sent the letter, they basically sat there on the bus for an hour trying to figure out whether or not it was actually going to happen. It's not happening. The president has canceled the trip. But Pelosi had shown up at the airport before finding out the president had ordered her plane not to take off. Uh, he is the commander in chief of the military, and they were going on a military charter. And the president informed the Air Force they were not allowed to let that plane take off the ground. <laughs> yes, yes, it is petty. Yes, yes, it is childish. Yes, yes, it is silly. Yes, yes, we are being run by a bunch of children. But oh my gosh, it's hilarious. <laughs> We, this is what happened. This would be like if, if the, the writers for the HBO series Veep had decided to write an episode of Aaron Sorkin's The West Wing. This is the episode you would get. Nancy Pelosi tells the president, uh, put a sock in it for the State of the Union, and the president sits back, well, you can't go to Brussels. <laughs> this is what we're dealing with. Oh, my gosh, our nation is so screwed. <laughs> 
know. But you know what? Laugh or you will cry. Laugh or you will cry. We are dealing with children, and the government shutdown continues. Uh, I will tell you there was a conversation yesterday at the White House among Republican members of Congress, and the what-if fear scenario for Republicans is this. What if the TSA agents who aren't getting paid but are still having to go to work, what if they don't show up? That would be the quickest way to wreck the economy and force the government to do something. Um, But the president, and this is the most important thing here that people need to understand, the president of the United States does not feel compelled to open the government back up. The president of the United States understands that if he opens the government and has not gotten anything for border security, it'll be a complete cave to Nancy Pelosi. And the president does recognize that if he opens up the border or opens up the government and declares an emergency, a federal judge is going to deny him what he wants. And that too will be treated as a huge loss because he'll get nothing. So he's got to see this fight through and he understands it. And the Democrats understand it as well. And there are there's more nervousness on the Democratic side than the media would have you believe. Now, the phone number here, 404-872-0750-1800, WSB Talk. Now, more implications on the shutdown. It is starting to have an economic impact. And even the Trump administration, uh, the, the, uh, the independent bureaucrats who look at this stuff, starting to say we're going to feel this in the economy, the government shutting down. And it has a lot to do with government employees not getting paid and having to take on insurance, uh, unemployment insurance. It's becoming a problem. It is cutting into other people who are legitimately unemployed, not people who are employed but furloughed because of the government shutdown. Uh, it's having a real impact on the families of the people who work for the federal government. And you do have to be sympathetic to that. And, and please don't tell me that you've seen no signs of it. You may not have seen signs of it, uh, but go to the airport and see how much longer the lines are starting to get. So I, I am going to be on the season premiere of Real Time on HBO tomorrow night with Bill Maher. And so I won't be in tomorrow. And I got a flight, mid-morning flight. And the HBO staff has asked me to make sure that I'm at the airport four hours in advance uh, because of the wait times at the airport. They just it's completely unpredictable, completely unpredictable. People are starting to see the effects of this. It is also we're starting to see the impact at the border, ironically, uh, because some of the people who are not now being funded as this shutdown continues are Border Patrol agents and immigration agents uh, and immigration judges who process the asylum seekers and whatnot. So we're having an impact at a national level. But the reality is all the Democrats have to do is offer up something. The president is now making it clear to everyone he is totally willing to negotiate on the amount of money. He had previously drawn a line in the sand saying $5 billion or bust. But at this point, if he just got a billion dollars from the Democrats and could use part of that to add a mile to the border, the president would gladly take it to reopen the government. 
The Democrats, however, are refusing to compromise, and they have no reason to compromise because the Democrats uh, recognize the president is getting hurt by this. It is the president who's getting blown up. It is not the Democrats. The media is clearly on the side of the Democrats. They're not even willing to point out that all the Democrats have to do is pony up some level of cash. And so the economic fallout of this is continuing. Now, we need to go full circle here in, in absolute fairness to the Democrats on this. If you will recall, the Democrats offered the president $5 billion in exchange for DACA last year. And at the time, the president said, no way. He agreed to it. He told Schumer and Pelosi, this is the deal. And then when it became public and conservatives were outraged, he walked it all back. He could have gotten his border wall. And the president this time, the government didn't have to shut down. The president made a deal again, this time with no border security. And then walked it back when conservatives were outraged, particularly conservative talk radio was outraged. I mean, just think, we could have had this fight settled a year ago if conservatives could come to terms with allowing the so-called dreamers to stay in the country. They could have their border wall. In fact, they could have had a more expansive border wall then because all of the $5 billion would have gone to the wall instead of to judges and border patrol agents and ICE agents and things like that. But people couldn't come to terms with the idea of allowing the the DACA kids to stay in the country. And guess what? Right now, the DACA kids are still staying in the country. They haven't gone anywhere. That would have been really status quo then as it is now. And people couldn't come to terms with it. And the result is that now we're in a prolonged government shutdown. And the odds are growing that the president is not going to get as much for his border wall now as he could have gotten last year had he just agreed to allow the status quo with DACA kids to continue. Jonathan Last of the Subbeacon podcast recommended an app to me for my iPhone for my kids a while back. My kids had sound machines and, you know, I could hear the sound machines coming from down the hall and it didn't seem like they were working and the kids were staying up late at night. My wife staying up as well. So he recommended an app called Calm. And you know what? Everybody in the house uses it now. It's essentially an app on your phone, your iPad, your other electronic device where you can download and listen to either meditations, music, stories that help you go to sleep, help you relax. And it has become a huge hit. In fact, it's the number one app to help you sleep, meditate, and relax. And I can tell you from personal testimony now, my family actually uses it. Uh, I've got a 10-year-old, I've got a 13-year-old, and my wife all of whom are now regular users of Calm. If you go to calm.com slash Eric, you get 25% off a Calm premium subscription. It includes hundreds of hours of programs, including guided meditations on issues like anxiety, stress, and focus, including a brand new meditation each day called the Daily Calm. There are sleep stories that are bedtime stories for adults. They're designed to help you relax and doze off. You can listen to uh, Stephen Fry. You can listen to Jerome Flynn from Game of Thrones. Even Bob Ross is there. And they're soothing music, breathing exercises, gentle stretches. For a limited time, you get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Eric. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash Eric. Get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at calm.com slash Eric. Give yourself the gift of Calm in a happy, healthy 2019. It is 25 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Um, I, reporters are really making me mad today with 
this story on Karen Pence. Karen Pence is Mike Pence's wife, she's the second lady of the United States. She, for 12 years, taught at a Christian school in Virginia and has decided to go back to work. Um, she's teaching art uh, to elementary school students at this school, and the media is attacking because it's a Christian school, and as a Christian school, it is an actual devoutly Christian school, and it requires that uh, the people who go there sign a moral code, that uh, they don't allow uh, gay staff and openly gay students at the school. It is a Christian school, and it takes their faith seriously. And note that they don't accept uh, teachers who commit adultery. They don't hire and accept uh, divorced faculty members. And they don't accept um, gay families, uh, gay parents with kids. They don't accept kids who are openly practicing homosexuality at school. They believe it to be a sin. And the people who go there sign on to the moral code that they will respect the moral code of the, of the school. You know what? You don't have to like it. You don't. You don't have to like it. I will tell you, I send my kids to a school that is very similar, that um, one parent has to go to church. Um, if they're in middle school, the kids have to have a statement from the pastor that they are actively involved in a church youth program. And there's a moral code at our school as well. Uh, we opted to send our kids to a Christian school because we wanted them out of the public schools with an anything-goes moral code and actually wanted them to go to a school that had a moral code that uh, reflected Christianity. We actually sent our kids to our church school, which we found was really open to all comers and was degrading the behavior and environment in which our kids were trying to get an education. So we pulled them out of our church's school and put them into what I think is actually a real Christian school, uh, not one that just pretends to be. And it is, it's been profoundly rewarding for our kids to be there uh, with like-minded kids who share their values. And if you don't like it, that's fine. You don't have to send your kids there. But to attack a woman for being a Christian, for subscribing to the views held by two billion other people on the planet and saying she shouldn't work there, uh, I think is as bigoted as you're accusing the school of being bigoted. You, you don't have to go send your kid to school there. You don't have to. You don't have to pay the money to go. Uh, but to then say that she shouldn't work there, you know, she's not the vice president. She's not even the president. She's not even the first lady. She wants to go to school. And, and what's so staggeringly profound here is she's teaching art to students. She's teaching art to students. And you know and I know if she were teaching art to students in a public school, the media would be just as outraged because her husband's a conservative. And why are they letting someone who works for the president or the, the wife of someone who works for the president teach art in a public school? They, they would claim there was some sort of quid pro quo. Um, here she is teaching kids art. You should deal with it. And to see the media, particularly several reporters at CNN, turning this into a very big story, I think CNN should be appalled at the conduct of their reporters, the very bigoted conduct of their reporters for attacking a Christian school, for being daring to be Christian, to be Orthodox Christians. Whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, if you consider yourself a Christian, whether you agree with it or not, you have to understand and accept that you got 2,000 years of biblical orthodoxy and over 2 billion people on the planet who share that biblical orthodoxy. And to tell them they got to give it up or be ashamed of it or whatnot is absolutely bigoted. And it's not up for debate. It is bigoted.
It is 39 after the hour, and I am Eric Erickson. And surprise, this was not planned, but it's awful nice of him to do it. Congressman Mark Walker of North Carolina happens to be in Atlanta today and called in. How are you? I am doing fine. I flew down uh, for a funeral today. Uh, You may know the group Casting Crowns, the girl that plays the violin, her brother Sterling Lynn. Uh, passed away suddenly last Saturday. Friends of our families, we served the same church when I was a minister. Uh, mm. So flew down for that today. I did not take military aircraft. Uh, <laughs> it was commercial, and I paid my own way, just for the record. Well, the, the, and, and you went through TSA like the rest of us. Exactly. Waited in line. Yes. Well, so give me the lay of the land from your perspective now on, on sure. the, the shutdown issue that just seems like where there's no end in sight. It, it is. It is. It's come off the rails. Uh, I, I just yesterday I was on the floor and I told I talked to no less than maybe four to six Democrats. Every single one of them told me that they agree and understand that there are multiple places on the border where a structure is needed and it is not immoral. What has happened is you have Trump and we know that personality as strong as it is, and now Nancy who has made all these promises to the hard progressive left that keeps continuing to multiply as members of Congress, that this would be her position. So she's locked in as well, even though most of the people that I've talked with, even Democratic colleagues, and I don't agree, we certainly don't vote the same way, they know that if anybody that's looking at this from a rational standpoint know that there are places where border wall or border structure is needed, uh, and that's the intel that we have, no matter what committee you serve on, and that's and, but that's the breakdown. Will Nancy budget all of this? It seems that she's she's gonna she's not, and that's and that's the problem, Eric. Well, it, it, you know, it, it seems to me. I mean, it, it, this seems more about her wanting to have a win against the president she can gloat about than actually trying to solve the shutdown. Well, there's no question about it. I mean this 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 is this is probably her last hurrah. She got crushed by uh, in, in two of the last three elections. In fact, it was the first time in history. In 1913, uh, the House members went from 387 to the current 435. Nowhere since that time uh, until the 114th and 115th Congress had the American public uh, ever elected 240 more Republicans in back-to-back Congresses. That's under her domain, her rule. So if she doesn't come out with a big win, she will leave Congress uh with a mindset of doing more damage than she has done good, even by many in her own party. We've seen how they've turned against Hillary Clinton. Nancy doesn't want that, and this is about her stallmate trying to get this one big win, uh, specifically against Donald Trump, and, and certainly it's turned personal at this point. Well, now, let me follow up on, on that with just moving forward. Is is there any sort of compromise you can see on the horizon? I, I, I'm of the position that if the president declares an emergency, it's just going to be a creative way to surrender because a, a liberal judge is immediately going to enjoy the declaration, so he'll actually get no, nothing. No, you, you, Eric, you always pinpoint this argument. When we began these talks, uh, I was over overall uh, Oval Office with, along with the, the three other members of our leadership team. Uh, when we came to the terms, in fact, uh, the, uh, Pence Kushner and Mick Mulvaney came back to the House. We met with them again said, listen, we will be willing to move on the number. Heck, we'll split the difference with you uh, as long as there's a certain amount of designated funds. In fact, the number, exact number was 2.6. 2.1 billion would go to some kind of structure. Another 400 or 500 million 
might have been $2.5 billion. Of other $400 million would go to ports of entry, other technological advances that would help us uh, with the border security. Uh, not, not even a whiff. Uh, absolutely nothing. And, uh, and, and now you have people like Hoyer and others who are breaking with Pelosi on this whole immoral, racial-based tone or language uh, because if the if the if the if the these structures if the wall is truly immoral, does that mean we shouldn't go tear down the existing walls right. that we have that they that they all voted to fund previously? Correct, M- multiple times. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I appreciate you being up there. Well, <laughs> I mean, better you than me being up there. And, and thank you very much for calling in on this. I'm. It's just staggering to see that the solution is so obvious. And I mean, all they got to do is offer up something. And they're just so convinced they've got to beat the president that they're not willing to even attempt to open the government with a compromise. Thanks, Eric. And let me say, I appreciate your ability to, to, to find this balance where you're able to intentionally speak against these political things but still hold strong to your faith that's an example for many of us even in the halls of congress well thank you very much congressman have a safe trip home thank you very much congressman mark walker north carolina uh just a, a profoundly great guy uh great great member of congress and see listen wasn't even planned i have members of congress just randomly call my show on uh, prayers by the way for the the members of casting crowns that is that is sad uh to lose a member of the family just sad uh, the phone number here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. When we come back, the Knights of Columbus, under assault by Democrats, Senator Ben Sass was able to put make the Democrats put up or shut up last night on the floor of the U.S. Senate and got a unanimous vote on a resolution condemning the attacks on religious liberty from his Senate colleagues, some of whom couldn't be bothered to show up and vote. It is 54 after the hour. I have got to be on real time on HBO tomorrow night. And I, I'm going to stay by the airport so I can be there early, early in the morning. And I'm going to shave tonight because I don't want to have to get up in the morning to shave. And I know that with Harry's razors, uh, their five blade razor to be precise, I can shave tonight. I can fly to Los Angeles tomorrow. I can be up until the show starts 10 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow night. And I will still have a terrifically smooth face thanks to all those blades on Harry's razors. And I will not have paid the amount of money that I would pay for one of the fancy brands um, that I used to buy. And you can be in the same boat with a great, great shave from a greatly designed razor by Harry's. Harry's replacement cartridges are just two bucks each. So they're way, way cheaper than what you get from these other uh, razor blade companies, and there's a great deal for you to give them a try. Right now, new customers get $5 off a trial set from Harry's with code Erickson at harrys.com. So you get a razor, you get a weighted handle, you get foaming shave gel, you get a travel cover, and you get it all for just 3 bucks plus free shipping when you use code Erickson at harrys.com. So you join millions of guys who have already switched to harrys.com and I'm one of them, and you go use code Erickson at checkout to claim your offer from harrys.com. When we come back, Tom Graves has uh, betrayed a member of the Georgia congressional delegation. Actually, you know what? I've got time to deal with the story right now, looking at the clock. Uh, Jody Heiss, a good conservative congressman here in Georgia, has been thrown off the House Armed Services Committee um, because of the reduction in numbers to be on the House Armed Services Committee. Republicans had to give up seats, and Heiss has been thrown off the committee. 
And it was Tom Graves, another Georgia congressman, another, another Georgia Republican, who ensured that Jody Heist would be thrown off the House Armed Services Committee. And you don't have to believe me about this. Believe Kevin McCarthy, the House Republican leader who confirms that it was Tom Graves. Uh, House leader Tom or House leader Kevin McCarthy, House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy, says he made a motion to keep Jody Heiss on the House Armed Services Committee, and no one made a second. And since no one made a second, the motion failed, and Heiss was booted from the Armed Services Committee. That was the steering committee. He made the motion in the steering committee. Well, Tom Graves is on the steering committee. Tom Graves of Georgia is on the steering committee. So Tom Graves either didn't bother to show up to protect Georgia's representation on the House Armed Services Committee, or he didn't make a second and stabbed in the back a member of the Georgia delegation. Now, Austin Scott from down in middle Georgia, he will be on the House Armed Services Committee, so Georgia will have one representative at least, uh, but Georgia typically has multiple representatives on the House Armed Services Committee, and this will be the first time in quite a while that the Republicans don't have two members on the House Armed Services Committee. And it was Tom Price from North Georgia who ensured that a Republican from Georgia got booted off the House Armed Services Committee. And you absolutely should know that it was a Republican, purported conservative Republican from Georgia, who ensured that a conservative Republican from Georgia got thrown off the House Armed Services Committee. Uh, Heist will be fine. He, he has other committee assignments, but I think it's very notable that Georgia's representation is declining. Uh, and it was all done largely because Heist is perceived not just as a conservative, but a conservative who's willing to vote against Republicans in Congress when Republicans in Congress uh, pursue big spending initiatives. Uh, sad to see Tom Tom Graves going that way. If I said, I think I might have said Tom Price. I meant Tom Graves. Uh, Tom Price. I'm thinking about him because he's in the news. Yesterday, Brian Kemp came on the show, spent two hours with me, and mentioned that Tom Price is uh, working with him to get a Medicaid uh, exemption. Uh, waiver is the word I'm thinking of from the Trump administration instead of expanding Obamacare in Georgia. Democrats in Georgia are livid that Brian Kemp doesn't want to expand Obamacare. He wants to pursue waivers so that instead of expanding Obamacare in the state of Georgia, that the state of Georgia can help the people who really need help covering the cost of their health care without just creating a massive new statewide entitlement program. It's actually a very good plan. The Democrats are livid because they only want expanded Obamacare. And in the process of that, uh, Renee Unterman has been tossed and is claiming sexual harassment in the Senate. I got some thoughts on this when we come back. It is 10 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, I've got some actual important breaking news that no one else has. Uh, I have confirmed during break with a member of the House Republican Steering Committee that Congressman Tom Graves of Georgia actually advocated for stripping Congressman Jody Heiss, another Georgia congressman, of his position on the House Armed Services Committee. Uh, congressman Tom, uh, Jody Heiss has been removed from the House Armed Services Committee by Republican leaders. Uh, it takes a 
emotion in a second to even bring it up in the steering committee of the House Republicans. Tom Graves is on that steering committee, and, and Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader, is confirming that he made a motion to put uh, Jody Heiss on the House Armed Services Committee, and no one, including Tom Graves, seconded the motion. I can now confirm from a member of the steering committee that Tom Graves made disparaging remarks about Jody Heiss uh, and was not concerned with removing him from the House Armed Services Committee. So a Georgia congressman, actually the Georgia congressman who represents the the Southeast region on the House Steering Committee, uh, was in favor of stripping a member from his region of the Armed Services Committee position. Um, and Graves, you should note, is a loyalist to Kevin McCarthy, but it's just sad to see a Georgia congressman stab in the back another Georgia congressman and deny Georgia uh, the traditional two seats for Georgia on the Armed Services Committee. Um, pitiful, petty politics uh, in a day full of petty politics. And yes, it is a member of the steering committee who confirmed this story for me. Um, so there you have it. Now, uh, we need to move into Georgia political news because there is a lot of Georgia political news. Uh, Brian Kemp, as he mentioned yesterday on the program, gave his State of the State address today and wants an initial $2,000 pay raise for teachers. He wants a total of $5,000. I am told by people familiar with his thinking that they believe with the current budget and uh, forecasts for Georgia, 2000 right now is reasonable. He had wanted to go the full $5,000 but had been advised that there is a strong potential for an economic slowdown given the trade war, the government shutdown, and, and other issues. As a result, uh, he wants to take a slow and steady approach to make sure the money will be there because he doesn't want to get in a position where he's got to raise taxes later to fund this. Uh, so all things being equal, he wants $2,000 up front. Another interesting issue, though, is that he w does not want to expand Medicaid. He said so yesterday on the program. He thinks Medicaid is a program that is ultimately going to be bankrupt, and so he doesn't want to expand it. He wants to try to get a waiver, and under Obamacare, states can get waivers to experiment. One of the ways that he wants to experiment is to allow associations to develop pools where they can offer up health insurance together, which right now they're prohibited by law. You have to get a waiver from the government to allow multiple separate entities that have common interests to be able to pull their resources together to be able to offer insurance. He wants to do that. He also wants to be able to subsidize the insurance of the really poor in the state of Georgia who can't afford health insurance otherwise and go that route. Uh, this is a plan. Uh, Tom Price, the former Health and Human Services Secretary and Georgia Congressman, they served together in the state Senate, Brian Kim and Tom Price did. Tom Price has advocated this plan. They're going to try to design it and get it done. Democrats in the state legislature are livid because they presumed the only thing he could do was expand Medicaid in the state. And Kemp's come up with an out-of-the-box solution instead of expanding Medicaid. And the Democrats are really, really mad about it. Uh, they were desperate for him to be locked into expanding Obamacare in the state, which Kemp has said he is not going to do. Now, Renee Unterman. This is a, a, a joyous, joyous day in Georgia. Renee Unterman, uh, thorn in the side of anyone who has ever wanted any real health care reform in Georgia. Uh, she will no longer be uh, the chairman or chairwoman of the Senate uh, Health Care Committee. I, I think this is appropriate music when we talk about Renee Unterman. Yes, Renee Unterman is the least liked member of the Georgia legislature. Democrats and Republicans alike 
dislike Renee Unterman uh, greatly. She was a loyal lieutenant of Casey Cagle and has treated her colleagues in the state Senate with absolute contempt over the years. Um, Renee Unterman in particular, I had one person tell me she was, uh, had on more than one occasion, if someone came up and introduced themselves to her, a new member, uh, would say awful things to them. And Republicans in the state legislature, well, Casey Cagle is no longer there to protect her, and they've had enough of her antics and behavior, and so they took her off this committee where she had been an impediment to any real reform. The Democrats were supporting Renee Unterman because Renee Unterman uh, supports expanding Obamacare. And so the Democrats wanted her to stay on the committee and the Republicans said absolutely not. So when the Republicans took Renee Unterman off the as committee chairmanship, they gave her a different committee chairmanship. She wanted health care. They put her in charge of science or something like that. So where I'm sure she can block rocket launches from Georgia. Uh, Renee Unterman is now claiming that she was sexually harassed. I have to tell you that you should be outraged by this cheap, sick stunt. Particularly if there are any women in this state who actually have been sexually harassed. To have a senior Republican woman in the state Senate lose her committee chairmanship and only then say, oh, 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 I was sexually harassed, I was sexually harassed. It cheapens sexual harassment. If she had been sexually harassed two years ago, she should have said something. She should have gone to prosecutors. To use it as a weapon against her Republican colleagues, they ought to expel her from the Senate. To use sexual harassment allegations as a weapon against her colleagues is gross. She is an awful person, uh, terrible to deal with. And she finally got her comeuppance. Maybe she could learn some humility and how to treat people nice instead of being the person she currently is and weaponizing sexual harassment as payback. She's now joined a bunch of Democratic women in the Senate to say the Republicans are punishing women. Why? Because the Republicans gave chairmanships to a couple of Dem- to at least one Democratic woman who is now upset that it's not a significant enough chairmanship. I'm sorry, you're a Democrat in the majority. Shut the heck up. They're not giving this to you because you're a woman. They're giving this to you because you're a Democrat. And guess what? You get a chairmanship. Most Democrats don't get a chairmanship. Instead of attacking them, maybe you should be thanking them for giving you something you don't deserve because you're a Democrat in the minority. If they want to continue weaponizing these things, when Republicans in the state Senate are trying to offer olive branches, the Republican leaders in the Senate just need to take it all away from them. Renee Unterman, no one wants to work with her. She's not a nice person. She's difficult to deal with. She was repeatedly an impediment to medical marijuana expansion, and more than one person told me that she wanted to take some credit for legislation and would kill legislation if they didn't let her take credit for it, including on the medical marijuana issues. She wants to expand Obamacare. The governor does not want to expand Obamacare. The Senate leadership does not want to expand Obamacare. And her payback to them is to accuse someone of sexually harassing her uh, more than a year ago now that she's lost her committee chairmanship and basically making it clear that she'd have kept her mouth shut if she got to keep her power. That's actually a pretty damning indictment on her character. Uh, And so good riddance to her losing her committee chairmanship. 
and hopefully now we can get some sane healthcare reform in Georgia now that she's no longer an impediment to doing things that we need to do. Jonathan Last of the Subbeacon podcast recommended an app to me for my iPhone for my kids a while back. My kids had sound machines and, you know, I could hear the sound machines coming from down the hall and it didn't seem like they were working and the kids were staying up late at night. My wife staying up as well. So he recommended an app called Calm and you know what? Everybody in the house uses it now. It's essentially an app on your phone, your iPad, your other electronic device where you can download and listen to either meditations, music, stories that help you go to sleep, help you relax. And it has become a huge hit. In fact, it's the number one app to help you sleep, meditate, and relax. And I can tell you from personal testimony now, my family actually uses it. Uh, I've got a 10-year-old, I've got a 13-year-old, and my wife all of whom are now regular users of Calm. If you go to calm.com slash Eric, you get 25% off a Calm premium subscription. It includes hundreds of hours of programs, including guided meditations on issues like anxiety, stress, and focus, including a brand new meditation each day called the Daily Calm. There are sleep stories that are bedtime stories for adults. They're designed to help you relax and doze off. You can listen to uh, Stephen Fry. You can listen to Jerome Flynn from Game of Thrones. Even Bob Ross is there, and they're soothing music, breathing exercises, gentle stretches. For a limited time, you get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Eric. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash Eric. Get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at calm.com slash Eric. Give yourself the gift of Calm in a happy, healthy 2019. Uh, we got more news we have to talk about when we come back, including more state news on Brian Kemp's proposals in the state of the state today. Right now, though, I, I got to tell you, I saw this news story and at first I thought it was a joke. Uh, but Gavin Newsom, the new, I keep wanting to say mayor of California, he was the mayor of San Francisco. Kimberly Guilfoyle on Fox News, you know her, dating now one of the Trump kids. She is his ex-wife. And Gavin Newsom is now the governor of California and he wants to tax water. That's right. You're drinking water. He wants to tax it because he has decided that there are people in the state who need drinking water. And the best way to get them drinking water is to tax the drinking water of the people who already have it. And real, uh, they will tax breathing if they can figure out a way to figure out how much you breathe in California. Maybe they'll make everybody wear respirators and decide, oh, you've breathed this much this month, global warming, you got to pay this much of a carbon tax. You know, you know, people are thinking about it, uh, advocating it. It's just crazy that they want to tax drinking water. When we come back, this rural urban divide, big New York Times story worth talking about how it applies to Georgia. Hey, don't forget you can text the word show to 444-999 to get a copy of the podcast of the show. And every day, every hour, you can go to theresurgent.com. We have redesigned. We have relaunched. Thanks to those of you who were helping me load test the other day. Uh, the site looks really, really good. I am very, very, very happy with the way it looks. Um, now, I want to talk about an issue. Brian Kemp and I spent a little bit of time yesterday talking about it. And again, text the word show to 444-999. You can hear our entire conversation unedited uh, on the podcast from yesterday. 
and I mentioned to him a New York Times story that is worth continuing with you guys today. So if you don't know, the state legislature in Georgia, particularly on the House side, has developed a study committee on the urban-rural divide, and particularly what to do with helping rural areas. One of the significant issues is broadband. And it sounds very trivial, and I acknowledge that it sounds very trivial, and it does, if we're honest about it, Uh, getting people high-speed internet. Uh, Believe it or not, there are portions of this state that do not have access to anything beyond dial-up. We're talking 2018, 2019, and dial-up internet speeds. For those of you who don't know, there used to be a thing called a modem in the back of your computer and you would plug in a phone line and you would type in a phone number and you hear the and don't you love the sound effects and you would connect to the internet and it was very slow compared to what we have now. Uh, and there are parts of the state that have that. There are parts of the state that have satellite internet, which is garbage. If you can avoid satellite internet, avoid it like the plague. The, the load times can be so incredibly slow. And I'm not just talking about way South Georgia here. As Brian Kemp noted, there are parts of Oconee County uh, we're outside of Clark County, outside of Athens, there are parts of Oconee County where it is impossible to get reliable broadband internet. And there are, it, it, that impacts doctors, it impacts healthcare, it impacts telemedicine, it drives up costs. And it also disincentivizes people from wanting to move out in those areas who ha- live in the city and commute. And it stifles growth. It also hurts schools out there uh, who don't have access to the Internet for kids to be able to do research and learn how to use the Internet. You would be surprised. We all probably, if you're listening to me right now, the odds are you take it for granted now that you have high-speed Internet. And you don't realize that there are schools in parts of Georgia in rural areas that can't afford a set of encyclopedias. And and most companies don't even make sets of encyclopedias. I grew up in your library had what the world encyclopedia and the encyclopedia Britannica, uh, the encyclopedia Britannica doesn't publish books anymore. You can't get an encyclopedia set for your local high school, uh, down in Taylor County. You, they got to go online and if they don't have broadband, they can't do that. Um, it becomes very, very difficult. So, Helping these areas figure out how to expand broadband is a good thing. The state of Mississippi actually just passed a legislation to allow uh, emergency or electric management corporations, EMCs, to establish broadband and fiber in their areas. That may be something we need to explore in Georgia. Some of them, I think, are already doing it here in Georgia. You may not need a law. Uh, I don't necessarily know that we need to tax everyone to build it out. I don't know that the government needs to build it out. And there are some people who would say there's an economic incentive. There would be an economic incentive if free market companies wanted to do it, and it was profitable to do it. Well, you know, this is a, a chicken and egg situation with broadband. Uh, you got to have people being willing and able to move into these areas. And a lot of people can't even contemplate it because of the lack of access to the Internet. I mean, I know, and real quick, I know we got to get traffic, but just one more point. When I go on vacation, I've got to make sure that I have access to Wi-Fi where we're staying to do what I do for a living. 
Um, I have on more than one occasion been able to connect in over the internet and do my radio show from vacation. And I had to specifically find a place. I realize I, okay, I don't take vacations. Let's just be honest. Um, but I got to have the internet to do it and high speed internet at that. Uh, it, more and more people need it for their jobs and it is putting rural Georgia at a real disadvantage and creating a divide where there need not be a divide. And so we're going to have to tackle this issue, whether we want to or not, whether you realize it's an issue or not. Um, so anyway, the, so the New York Times says this article, Brian Kim and I talked about a little bit yesterday, that increasingly for the fir- first time in multiple generations, it is not true that people who want manual labor jobs can find a job in the city and make a go of it in life in a way they couldn't in rural areas. For the longest time, no matter where you lived in this country, if you were poor, if you didn't have uh, highly educated skills, you could still move into cities and you could get a job as a mover. You get a job uh, doing manual labor. You could get all sorts of jobs in cities that weren't available to you in rural areas. And we are now at a part, uh, we are now at a point in time where that's no longer the case. Largely because businesses in cities have become so efficient that people who don't have high-level job skills are being shut out of the market in cities. And they actually have a better chance of finding a job in a more rural area. But even those jobs in rural areas depend on people moving to those rural areas. And it's harder and harder to get people to move out to rural areas because of a lack of infrastructure. Uh, I know plenty of people who would love to commute into Atlanta from uh, less developed parts of uh, what I would consider the metro area, but further out and in the countryside where you can buy more land, build a bigger house for cheap. But they can't because of um, they can't telecommute at times. Uh, they don't have the infrastructure out there and they need it. And the state's going to have to figure out a way to deal with this uh, because it is impacting the entire state. And it's also fostering a lot of resentment as people in these rural areas believe that Atlanta more and more is sucking the resources. And Atlanta is sucking resources. And we got to figure out a way to, to help uh, those areas develop resources of their own to attract new jobs and new businesses. It's going to be very, very tough to do, but we got to deal with this issue. It is 56 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. So I am headed, I, I'm, I'm not even sure who is in for me tomorrow, but thanks to whoever it is, uh, I am headed to Los Angeles in the morning, assuming you can pass through the airport. I was told to be there super early. I'm supposed to be on the season premiere of Real Time on HBO tomorrow night with Bill Maher. It'll be Bill Maher, Bernie, Barney Frank. Um, who else is on the show tomorrow? I, I know John Kasich is there. Um, let's see. And uh, Marshawn Lynch, that's it. Uh, is going to be there. Uh, so I'll be in studio with them. The it is li- the, the whole concept of the show is it is one hour, 60 minutes, uh, and zero seconds. And it starts at 7 p.m. West Coast time, 10 p.m. Eastern time. And the show ends at 11 on the dot. Uh, and you sit on stage the entire time. And it's just, it, it's a very interesting show, very interesting conversation. And it's very big on not talking points. But conversation, yes, the audience skews liberal, the host is liberal, most of the guests are liberal, and I get to be the underdog, and that's fine. I view it as a missionary journey out to the West Coast. See you guys on Tuesday.